reading of the scripture this morning from Judges chapter 8. And in contrast, if you please, to my normal method, typically when we go to a new chapter in our series, I read the entire chapter, or at least certainly a large portion of it to begin with. But today, moving into this eighth chapter, I confine myself to only three verses in the reading for the morning message. Judges chapter 8 and verse 1. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites. And they did chide with him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleanings of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiazer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Turn with me again in your hymn book, please, <coughs> and turn to number 900, 694. 694. Stand with me, please, and sing together 694. Blessed are the sons of peace Whose hearts and hopes are one Whose kind designs This serve and please Through all their actions run Blessed is the pious house where zeal and friendship meet. Their souls are free. There Oh, as the 
Thus with unerrances They poured the rich perfume The old blue His raiders bread And fragrance filled the song the the saints are blessed above with joy like morning distilled and all the air is Thank you and be seated. Here we go again. Subtitle Trouble from Brethren. Here we go again. Here we go again. As we come now to this eighth chapter in this record of judges in Israel, as it is my usual manner to do, I can do little more today than to introduce in a general way, these next scenes and the lessons to be drawn from them. It would seem that we have followed Gideon now for a very long time. It would seem that way, but it is not actually so. What it is true that it has taken me a great while to cover this ground. I look back and according to my records, it has been almost exactly eight months since I introduced you to Gideon in chapter 6 and verse 1. Yet as most scholars agree, in the actual chronology by the time we come to the end of this 8th chapter, it is likely that we will have covered no more than a few days in the life of this faithful servant and in the lives of Israel. In that short span, we have watched this tender sprout get in shoot up out of the soil of Israel's national humiliation and demise. And we've watched this tender plant grow up. Yes, under the husbandry of this blessed angel under the tree. We've watched him grow into a great tree planted by the rivers of sacred water 
Yes, we've watched with pleasure and delight him blooming with precious fruits of faith. And we've watched as those fruits have ripened into luscious clusters of obedience and triumph. Truly, this has been a glorious journey and one that holds our hearts in awe as we've watched it unfold on the sacred page by the pen of God's Holy Spirit. Our journey along with that of Gideon has sometimes been taxing. Sometimes even tedious. Sometimes frightening. Sometimes convicting. But it has been always upward. Going from faith to faith. From strength to strength. But now... As we come to this eighth chapter, Gideon's battles are not over. Oh, no, indeed. No, indeed. Some have dared to say that his greatest battles, as recorded here in this eighth chapter, are yet to be fought. And as we shall see God willing in them, he has not always fared so well. As we come to chapter 8 in our record, Gideon and his 300 faithful brothers, indeed along with all of Israel, they have witnessed an unspeakable miracle. As we approach this 8th chapter, they have come from just witnessing an unspeakable miracle. Miracle. An unconquerable foe has been conquered. <laughs> An insatiable oppressor for over seven years now has been crushed in only one night. And that without a single weapon in Israel's hands of warfare. The sword of the Lord, chapter 7 and verse 20, has done all in an instant of what Israel has not accomplished in seven weary years and could never hope to accomplish. The sword of the Lord has done it in one night. <laughs> Hallelujah. Israel has had the yoke of annual terror lifted and can finally breathe the refreshing air of freedom from tyranny and fear. Only a small band remains to be crushed and that, as we shall see, will be done soon enough in short order and in total victory. But before the conclusion of that, that conquest is recorded, 
It is by God's inspiration that we come to this scene in verse 1 of chapter 8. At the end of chapter 7, you'll recall, we found that Gideon has sent messengers to his brethren in Ephraim to intercept these two princes, Oreb and Zeb, who somehow escaped the general carnage of this historic night and were fleeing toward Jordan in hopes to elude capture. Being a large tribe and very capable, these men of Ephraim, we find them called in verse 1, caught them and slew them. And in the customs of the day, they carried their heads as trophies and presented them to Gideon, the scripture says, on the other side of Jordan. This is where our chapter opens today. They have come across and brought the heads of these princes, these men of Ephraim, to present them to Gideon. And this is where our chapter opens. It's unknown exactly how this presentation was carried out. Whether it was done with some show of pomp and ceremony, or in a more private setting, we simply do not know. But alas, this we know. It was not altogether a joyous occasion as one might expect. Nor was this Gideon's first encounter with trouble from his own brethren. Here we go again. You remember it in chapter 6 and verse 28 through 30, his first encounter with trouble from his own people. This is an old enemy, but one that's still very alive and well. One might well expect as we come to the closing words of chapter 7, in this ceremony of presentation, whatever form it took, as we come to chapter 8 and verse 1, we might well expect that the collective sigh of joyous relief would have cast this scene in universal rejoicing and consummate praises to God and blessings to Gideon for this great deliverance. But alas, as we read verse 1, it is not so. The men of Ephraim 
said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus? That thou callest us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites. And they did chide him sharply. Mm. Just here. <laughs> With the trophies of God's amazing grace in their very hands. Even while some in Israel at that moment were pillaging the pillagers. In the valley of Jezreel. And while surely every household in Israel no doubt was abuzz. With the gladsome news of Gideon's triumph. Right here an old and ugly monster rears its treacherous head. Right here on the heels of God's astounding grace. That vile and unholy caker of green-eyed carnal jealousy spews out its putrid venom even here. Right here. Edersheim, ever the consummate historian and scholar, has this to say. The tide of battle had rolled towards the Jordan. The refugees seemed to have divided into two main bodies. The quickest under the leadership of Zeba and Zalmunna succeed in crossing the Jordan and hastens toward the wilderness while the main body of the army encumbered with women and cattle fled in a southeasterly direction trying to gain the more southern fords of the Jordan within the possession of Issachar and almost in a straight line with that of Ephraim. The two kings were the object of Gideon's own pursuit in which he had joined by those of Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh who had shortly before been dismissed from the battle. To overtake the other body of fugitives, Gideon summoned the Ephraimites directing them to occupy the waters, the territories of Jordan, under Beth Bara, and to the Jordan. The success of Ephraim was complete. A great battle seems to have been fought, referred to, they think, scholars think, referred to in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 26, in which the leaders of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, you remember their names mean the raven and the wolf were taken and slain. The Ephraimites continued the pursuit of the fugitives to the other side of the Jordan, bringing with them to Gideon the gory heads of Oreb and Zeb. Strange and sad, strange and sad, says Edersheim, strange and sad that their first meeting with Gideon after this victory should have been one of reproaches and strife on account of their not having been first summoned to the war, strife, 
springing from that tribal jealousy which influenced from such so much evil in the whole history of Ephraim here and now in the vision of the victory. In the shadow of the victory. <laughs> oh, what great lessons are for us here in this text. First of all, let us look at the wording of this record as this villainous deed is set before us here. One Hebrew scholar helping us to grasp this text in its original says of the words used here and I'm quoting his understanding of these words. We have translated in our Bible and they did shine with him sharply. What Hebrew scholar helping us understand these Hebrew words describes them and says they are quote rough ill language keen and biting expressions expressing great anger and wrath. In summation he says they were well crafted to tarnish the luster of any joy and douse the fires of any rejoicing. Dear Lord help us. Oh, how the wording in this text shocks us into the realization of how vile are the hearts of Gideon's own brothers. How vile can be the hearts of some even among Christ's church. <laughs> oh, even old blessed Peter. You remember it, I know. But I want to show it to you anyway. Dear blessed old Peter. He suffered with no small case of this disease. John 21 and verse 20. Then Peter turning about, See if the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth me? Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Biting words. Biting words. From the lips of this most blessed disciple. Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Dear old Peter, 
had a terrible case of this same disease. Oh, but he was not alone, not at all. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee, the mother of Zebedee's children, with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Well, that'd make a great gospel message, great gospel title, Desiring a Thing. She was desiring a thing through the gospel accounts and find all the places where somebody came desiring a thing from him. And then ask the question, what are you desiring from him? Well, she came desiring a thing, verse 20, and he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant. That these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism? With the baptism that I'm baptized with, they said, and we are able. Oh, many, many over the ages have been infected with this disease. How great is the power of this spirit among some, even of God's own people in all ages. Never mind the grace of God. Never mind the victory of God. Never mind the display of his miraculous power in their midst. Never mind all of that. We're just concerned with ourselves and what we look like. I asked this morning, what would cause any to want to do such a vile and ungrateful deed as this? To set about to purpose to destroy the joy of these great victories. Well, Ephraim, as you may know, was also a descendant of Joseph, as was Gideon. And therefore, he was nearer kin to Gideon than the other tribes whom he called to the task. You remember he called Asher and Zebulun, and Naphtali. But Ephraim was nearer kinsman to Gideon than they were. As is always the case with these selfish, self-interested, self-promoting zealots, they failed completely to notice that God had chosen this army and not Gideon. And as Jameson Fawcett and Brown well said, this is no small fact to be ignored. 
that God chose this army. And not Gideon. It's in the light of this fact that we're able to lose sight. That is, when we grasp this fact, that it was God's doings and not Gideon's. When we grasp that fact, we're able to lose the sight of ourselves in the work of God and realize that it's His work and not ours. That is, that it is God who works. And in that light, the instrumentality that He chooses loses our interest. Because it's God who works. Could I just pause here before my treatment of this text and bring us to a warning from what I have called a sidelight. Not the main light, but a sidelight. Bush touches it when he points out that the irritation which is here expressed, seems to have originated in a prior state of jealous feelings existing on the part of Ephraim toward Manasseh. Ephraim was brother to Manasseh. The tribe from which Gideon sprung, and probably priding themselves in the preeminence assigned them in the blessing of Jacob and Moses on the descent of Joshua from their tribe, on their having the tabernacle fixed in their inheritance, and on their superior numbers, they seemed to have indulged a bitter spirit of rivalry toward their brother from all time. And hence the allusion elsewhere in Isaiah 9 and 21 to the envy of mutual disaffection of these two tribes. What am I trying to say? I'm telling you that this feeling has been festering now for a long time. Oh, may God help us. When first in our heart we feel the stirrings of a thing that is not holy with regard to our brother or our sister, we better not nurture that thing. We better take it quickly to Calvary and crucify it. Ephesians 4 and 26, let not the sun Go down on your wrath. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first. Be reconciled with thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly. While thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee, the judge, the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. 
We need to deal with these things and not allow them to remain in our hearts. Oh, listen, don't nurture some evil serpent in your bosom. I say it's a sidelight. It's a sidelight because that's not specifically talked about in this text. But behind the scenes of this verse 1 in chapter 8, there's this long rivalry that's existed between these tribes and they've done nothing to heal the breach. They've fed it. I fear that happens in churches. One sitting over here and one sitting over there and something's going on. They're doing nothing to fix it. And it reared its ugly head on this day. This ought to have been a day, a great day of national rejoicing. God has set on free at last. And instead, there's this foul blackness that's brought on the scene by this festering problem. What would cause, I raised the question earlier and I'll raise it again now. What would cause, what would cause men to do such a thing? Well, I asked dear old Simeon that question and found that in his book of sermons, he had an answer for me. You can find good answers when you ask questions to good sources. Simeon had an answer in his book of sermons. What would cause such a spirit to possess a brother's heart? And I'll not be able today to bring you the entire message. But I want to bring it to you. I want to answer the question beginning in next week's message. What would cause a man to possess such a vile, hurtful spirit toward a brother? What would cause that? God willing, on next week, pursue that question. Would you stand with me, please, and let's sing together. Hymn number 697. How sweet, how sweet, how sweet, how heavenly is the sight when those that love the Lord in one another's peace delight and thus fulfill His word. When each can feel his brother's sigh, and with him bear apart when sorrow flows from eye to eye and joy from heart to heart. Stand with me and sing, please. How sweet, how heavy.
with leave the sight when those that love the Lord in one another's peace delight and thus fulfill his word when each can feel his brother's sigh and with them bear apart when sorrow flows from eye to eye and joy from heart to heart when free from envy scorn and pride our wishes all above each can his brother's failings hide and show our brother's love love is the golden chain that binds the happy souls above and he's an heir of him that finds his bosom glow with love